first week in June, June 1st through the 8th. There's a lot of information in the bulletin. And uh, if you're interested in going, uh, let myself or Jeff Van Fleet know, and uh, we'll get you hooked up. There are still thousands and thousands of homes down there that uh, still are in need of uh, repair. That's actually the first time that I had uh, actually seen the finished kitchen there in the Valdez house. Uh, far different cry than we walked in last year in a house that had been six feet up on the walls and you know, all kinds of water damage and had to be gutted. By the way, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We're going to be in Matthew, Matthew chapter 25 this morning. All the words and verses will be up on the screen this morning too. Let's pray over God's word. Father, we come to you today. and uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these baptisms this morning and just what they represent. A uh, young man and a young lady that committed their life to you and they want everybody to know about it. It's a, a public profession. Father, we uh, just pray that your word will speak to us today. Pray that we'll forget about what we're doing later this afternoon and not worry about lunch and stuff. But Father, just the next 25, 30 minutes, just kind of focus on your word and what you have to say to our hearts today. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wouldn't it be great to have an app maybe or maybe some kind of crystal ball? That you could look into and it would tell you if your future decisions were good or bad. You know, you could just look into it or you could just log on to it. And it would let you know if this decision that you're thinking about would be a good one. Maybe it's your investments and you could just look ahead and you'd know exactly how they would turn out. Maybe it's some other kind of life-altering decision that's a pretty big deal and, and you'd just like to check and see how it's going to come out. I think all of us would like something like that. You know, history is full of examples of people and companies that they saw an opportunity and they acted on it and it changed their life in a positive way forever. And history is also littered with examples of people who had an opportunity that would have changed their fortunes and they didn't act on it. Let me give you some examples. A couple companies first and, and then we'll talk about uh, an, an individual. Remember Eastman Kodak? You know, there was a time when Kodak had an absolute corner on the market for photography, film, film equipment, cameras, in the late 70s, they owned 90% of all the photography market. But then in the 90s, you know, things started changing a little bit, and digital uh, photography became the thing, and that's where everybody was going. But Kodak kind of resisted that. And here's the interesting part. Kodak actually came out, one of their engineers by the name of Steve Sasser, came out with a digital camera in 1975. But Kodak kind of pushed it away. That's not where our business is, that kind of thing. Well, by the time they realized what was going on and came out with their own digital camera in 2005, and it was kind of innovative because it was the first one that would use Wi-Fi and allow you to send your pictures straight to people, it was too late. They were already too far down that curve to straighten things out. And the only thing that kept them out, 
out of bankruptcy was in 2013, they basically sold all of their patents. But in 1975, it was right there, and they blew the opportunity. Or how about Blockbuster? Everybody remember Blockbuster? Yeah, everybody's laughing because it's like, yeah, like it's gone, right? In 2000, Blockbuster was the thing. 8,000 stores, 600,000 employees, and uh, by 2004, they had you know 9,000 stores, and uh, they were worth all kinds of money. And then there was this little fledging company called Netflix. And back in the day, some of you remember this, some of you are gonna look at me like I'm nuts, but originally Netflix, you would order your DVD and it would be shipped to you in a little package, and then you would watch it, and then you would mail it back to them. And Netflix, by 2004, was figuring out this was not really a good business model, and they weren't going to be able to sustain that. So their CEO went to Blockbuster's headquarters and to their CEO and offered to sell Netflix to Blockbuster. And their CEO of Netflix said, I would literally laugh out of the office. Well, by 2010... Blockbuster had lost $1.1 billion, and their net worth was about $24 million. At the same time, Netflix was worth $13 billion. Today, how many Blockbuster stores are there? One. One store, and it's almost like a museum. One store. People go there just to see what one's like. And Netflix is worth $19 billion. You think the CEO of Blockbuster back in 2004 might wish he could change things? A blown opportunity. One more. I bet you don't want to be this guy. Show his picture up there if you would. That is Ronald Wayne. Ronald Wayne was one of the original three co-founders of Apple. When Apple went public, two weeks after they went public, he sold his share of Apple for $800. Today, that would be worth $40 billion. That's with a B, billion dollars. Talk about a blown opportunity. Well, today in the book of Matthew, we're going to look at a guy. His name's not Ronald Wayne, but he blew an opportunity. He blew a great opportunity. And before we kind of get into his story, let me just give you a little bit of context this morning. What we're looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and following, is a, what's called a parable. A parable is a fictional story to tell a truth. And Jesus used to use parables all the time to communicate truths. So that's what's going on here. And specifically, giving you more of the context, Jesus earlier has been talking about his second coming. And he's telling the, the, the people that are listening here, hey, when I come back, I am coming back, but while you're waiting for me to come back, you need to be working. You need to be telling people about me. Just don't sit on your hands. Don't be lazy. You need to be telling people about me. So that's the context. He's coming back, and so 
he tells this parable to further that truth about the fact that we need to be working. And he starts off in verse 14. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. And just that word again ties it back to remind him, this is what I've been talking to you about. You need to be working. And the man in this story, because it represents the truth, is Jesus or God. He's the one that's going on the journey. And there's four things I want you to notice this morning. The first is this. We are all given opportunity and responsibility. Look at the rest of verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. You know, it was common back then for wealthy men to take journeys. And you got to remember, back then, there was no air travel, you know, those types of things. So when you went on a journey, it could take you a long time. And most people think that this journey he went on took a year. Let me ask you a question. If you were going to take a journey, what would you need to do? Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe you're going to go across and tour Europe for six weeks. What would you have to do? Well, you'd probably have to get your pet taken care of. You'd probably want to get your mail stopped. If you get the newspaper, you'd probably want to get your paper stopped. You'd probably need to arrange for some type of lawn care. If it was in the wintertime, you might want to have your water cut off and those types of things. You'd want to get your financial things kind of set in order. Maybe you to move some money around in different accounts and uh, either arrange to have your bills paid electronically or, or get someone to take care of it for you. Well, the same thing goes for this guy. But he's going to be gone a long time. And he has to make some arrangements for some things to be taken care of. And it wasn't unusual at this point in history for these wealthy men to have servants who would be entrusted with taking care of their business. So we read that he gives his care to his servants. So who are these servants? Well, this word servant means servant or it also sometimes is translated slave. They're just common laborers. But here's the interesting thing. Oftentimes, a wealthy person would have numerous businesses. And he wouldn't necessarily be an expert in all of those businesses. So he might have a servant that is actually more knowledgeable about a particular business than he is. And he would entrust that business to that servant's care. And that appears to be exactly what's going on here. So he's entrusting his business while he's gone to these servants. And basically, they're going to have like power of attorney. They can make whatever decision is necessary. And here's something that's really important. There was no doubt in these servants' mind who the money belonged to, who the business belonged to. They understood that they were just the managers. They weren't the owners. They were the managers. Likewise, we need to remember that everything that we have is given to us by God, and we're the managers of it. We don't own it. Over in Psalms chapter 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And Haggai, he puts it this way, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Let me ask you a question. 
If you made $1,000 last week, don't answer this out loud, how much of it is God's? If you say 10% or $100, you're wrong. Because it's all his. We are just the managers of it. And I think sometimes we get that confused. Have you ever been shopping with one of your children and they do the we thing? Let me give you an example. Let's say you were shopping with your 17-year-old son. It just so happens that I have a 17-year-old son. And you were at Costco and he sees this 80-inch high-def 4K Samsung Smart TV. And he says, we need one of those. And you look at it and you say, son, that's almost $2,000. And he says, we have the money. And you say, who is the we? You have a mouse in your pocket? Because you know that you have money and you know that he doesn't have money. And sometimes our kids get that relationship, especially when it comes to money, a little confused. They think it's all theirs. And you as the parent know it's a little bit different and you're not going to be careless with your funds. And you know that it's your responsibility to take care of that. And I think that's sometimes how it is with God. We forget that it's his. We're just the manager. We don't own it. He owns it all. Have you ever allowed that concept to kind of permeate your personhood? Because until we understand that he owns it all, we're never going to fully understand how we let him use the resources. We're never going to be good managers of what he gives us if we don't recognize that truth. Our gifts, our abilities, our talents, all of it is from him. Our houses, our money, our portfolios, cars, whatever it is, it all belongs to him, and he's made us the manager of it. We really don't own anything, and that's what these servants understood. But they were given an opportunity and a responsibility, which leads me to the second thing. We are given opportunity according to what we can handle. Notice verse 15. It says, them, it says, To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. Now your translation may say talent instead of bags. Five talents, three talents, or two talents, and then one talent. It may say talent. And talent is actually a better way to kind of understand this, at least the amount of it. Talent is actually a weight. And so th this was an amount of gold by weight that they were given. And, of course, an amount of weight, a pound of gold, is worth more than a pound of copper, right? So this, this talent, whatever amount of weight it was, and there are varying scholars who can't totally disagree on or agree on what that amount is. But it was an amount of gold. And what they do agree on is that for the average common laborer, it would take them 20 years to earn one 
talent of gold that they were working that was, say, like minimum wage. So put that in our time. Each talent was worth approximately $300,000. If you multiply 20 years times somebody working 40 hours a week at minimum wage, about $300,000. So that means the first guy is given $1.5 million, second guy is given $600,000, and the last guy, well, he's not given as much, he's given $300,000. That, that's pretty significant amount. So they're each given this money. And here's the thing. It's expected that they'll do something with it, that they will risk it, that they will venture it. It says each of them received according to his ability. You see, your responsibility is tied to your ability. That's very interesting. What you have, God gave you, and he expects you to manage your gifts, your talents, and your resources within the boundaries of how he's wired you. So you have responsibility according to your ability. You know, not everybody can handle lots of money. You see this with lottery winners. I mean, how many lottery winners do you read about that win millions and millions of dollars? And in five years, they're bankrupt because they didn't know how to handle money. You see it sometimes with professional athletes, men and women who sign these big, million-dollar lucrative contracts. And then two years after they retire, they have, they're bankrupt. They have nothing to show for it because they didn't know how to manage money. I don't think it's a coincidence that usually the people that God gives the gift of making money also seem to have the gift of spending and using it wisely. God entrusts different people with different things, different resources, according to his sovereign purposes. And that looks differently for each one of us. But the important part is we're to be faithful with what he gives us. The third thing is this. When we're given that opportunity, we are to use that opportunity. Verse 16 tells us what happens next. The man who had received five bags of gold or five talents of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags or talents more. And some versions actually translate this word to work as to trade. And it refers to doing business over an extended period of time. He just didn't make one investment and then sit back for a year and see what would happen. He was continually investing what he had. He was working on his master's portfolio, and he was taking full advantage of the opportunity that is given to him. And he takes it from $1.5 million to $3 million. I don't know about you, but I want this guy to be my financial investor, advisor, right? I mean, doubles that money in a year. I mean, he's got a blog somewhere. I want to be reading. So that's what he does. He doubles his money. What about the second guy? Verse 17. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So he did the same thing. And it tells us, notice it says they immediately went out. So they got to work immediately. So both of these guys, they show commitment to their master. Both of these guys are doing pretty good. They've doubled the money. So what about our third guy? Doesn't have as much money 
$20,000, that's not too shabby. What does he do? Well, verse 18 describes this guy's approach. But the man who had received the one bag, or the one talent, went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Even though there's no specific instructions on how they're supposed to use this money, the context is they were expected to do something with it. And whether this guy's just a slacker, or he's lazy, or whatever it is, he doesn't do anything. He just, he was given an opportunity he blows it. He doesn't take advantage of it. Because Antonio's voice was high and squeaky, he didn't make the Cremona boys quiet. When he took violin lessons, the neighbors actually persuaded his parents, please make him stop the violin lessons because it sounded so terrible. Yet Antonio still wanted to make music. And it seemed about the only thing that he did well, and his friends made fun of him for this, was to whittle. And eventually, he got an apprenticeship at a, with a violin maker, and his ability to whittle soon turned into an ability to carve, and that became his craft. And he would just patiently and faithfully make violins. When he died, he had made over 1,500 violins. Each has a label that reads Antonio Stradivarius. They are the most sought after violins in the world, each selling for at least $100,000. Could he sing? Could he play? Wasn't a preacher or a teacher? But he took the gift that God had gave him, the opportunity that God had gave him, and those violins are still making. After a long time, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with him, them. So he comes back. Been gone for a year. First thing he wants to know about is how his business is doing. So he gets these guys together and wants to know how things are going. And we read in verses 20 through 25 that the guy who had five talents brought five more with him. And the language is kind of insightful here. He says, see, I have gained five more. Or you could translate this word, see, look, or behold. He's excited about what has happened. He's excited about how he has made the money grow. I would be excited, too, if I had $3 million, right? So, I mean, he's really excited. It's like your kids. You know, remember when they were little? Look, look, Mommy, look, Mommy, look, Daddy, look, 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 watch me, watch me, watch me. Well, that's what's going on here. He's excited. He has enthusiasm for what is going on. It's not pride. He's excited about what he's done because he wanted to please the owner. The second guy's the same way. He's excited. And so we read in verse 21 that the master says the same thing to both of them. He said, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
guys receive? Affirmation. Great job. Well done. I appreciate you. Promotion. Since you've done so well with what I've given you, I'm going to give you two even more to work with. And then the last thing he says, share your master's happiness. It's a celebration. This is great. Let's celebrate together. The word well done can be translated, this is excellent. This is wonderful. So the master is excited about what they've done. But what about the third guy? He had wrapped it up in a towel and buried it in the ground. But yeah, it's not scratched. It's not mildewed. It was exactly the way he had it when it was given to him. And he's a bit more reluctant to see the master. And these are his words in verse 24. I knew that you were a hard man. Notice the contrast between him and the other guys. He immediately talks about himself. I knew that you were a hard man. The other guys said, Master, you entrusted us. The other two guys were focused on the master. This guy's focused on himself. As you look a little bit closer, you kind of see the heart of this third guy. He had a wrong view of the master and probably had his mind made up even before he was given the talent. He looked at this guy as somebody that's hard and harsh. You know what his mistakes are? First, he did absolutely nothing with his opportunity. Nothing. Nada. And then the second thing was he chose his character by attacking his master's character. You're hard. You're harsh. He's the church member who shows no spiritual fruit in his life, no spiritual worship in his heart, and is blind to what God is doing and blind to God's grace and God's work. A.W. Tozer said this, and he was right. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. If we view God as a tyrant, then we'll filter everything through that lens. Maybe some of you this morning, you're secretly angry with God because he didn't do something you wanted him to do, or he did something that you didn't want him to do. And as a result, your view of God is just kind of skewed, and your preconceived notions will prevent you from seeing God as a God of grace. And as a result, you're not serving him with your talents and abilities, and you're not blessing people with your resources. And you know what else this faulty view of God leads to? It leads to fear. Look at verse 25. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. His fear paralyzed him, and he just decided to play it safe. He could have put the money in the bank. They had banks. The Roman Empire had banks. They usually loaned money out at about 12%, according to John MacArthur, and paid interest about 6%. He could have stuck it in a bank and they would have got 6% interest on it. He did nothing. You know what happens if you aim at nothing? You'll hit nothing every time. You'll hit anything. That's what he did. You know, there's no such thing as a risk-free life. Let me share something with you. This is kind of deep. Most of you probably don't realize you took considerable risk getting to church this for instance, you had a one in two million chance of dying falling out of bed this morning. 
While brushing your teeth, you flirted with a 20% chance that your local water supply has an infectious bacteria in it. Then, you endured a 1 in 7,000 chance of suffering a serious shaving injury this morning. A risk of 1 in 145 still awaits you as your car could be stolen. But don't ride in automobiles because they cost 20% of all fatal accidents. Don't stay at home because 17% of all accidents happen at home. Do not walk on streets or sidewalks because 14% of all, 14 of all accidents happen to pedestrians. You don't want to travel by air, rail, or water either because 16% of all accidents happen there. By the way, only one in a thousand deaths occur at church. So you're, on, you're the safest place on earth. <laughs> the difference between these guys was two picked opportunities and one failed. We learned this morning that God gives us opportunities and we should take advantage of them. We learned that he owns everything. We learned that God gives us opportunities and we should take advantage of them. And we learn also that by not taking advantage of our opportunities, someday we're going to be held accountable for those. So what are some applications this morning? Let me mention a couple things to you. Number one, our responsibility is to invest our abilities and money. Every day you ask yourself the question, how am I investing the talents and seen the show Antique Roadshow or maybe another show that is similar kind of in the vein that I'm thinking of, Pawn Shop. And people bring in these things that they have and I always kind of get tickled because it seems like the people that bring in something that they really think is worth something, they find out that it's not, it's a forgery, it's a fake, it's you know very common, whatever. And then these people that just seem to bring in some little something that aren't expecting anything find out that theirs is worth a whole lot. I think sometimes we're kind of like those people, you know, the people that bring in the extravagant item, we're a little bit like them because we think we're going to impress God with, with our talents and our abilities or our resources, and God's not impressed at all. He's just impressed when we just come before him and say, this is what I have, this is all I have, and please just use it. Our responsibility is just to use what we have. That's all he asks us. Just use what we have. Second thing. Jesus has placed his business into our hands and will someday return to judge our faithfulness. Are you partnering with him or just making excuses? I'll never forget the story I read about the shoe salesman who went to Africa. He'd been there two weeks and he sent a note back to his company. He said, please bring me home. Nobody here, nobody here wears shoes. So they brought him home and they sent another salesman. The other salesman goes over and he sends a note back home. Please send more shoes. Nobody here has shoes. Two different ways of looking at it. Some of y'all understand that a little bit better when you think about it. There's two different ways of looking at an opportunity. It's interesting to me in Scripture that God never judges people for trying. He just asks us to be faithful. He doesn't judge people if they fail, if they try. He just says, 
don't lose talents by investing them. You lose talents by burying them. God honors us when we invest our talents and our resources with what he does for us. I think about the history of this church, and it started long before I came here, how people through the years have invested in people, they've invested in buildings. I think about this building behind us that we built, the, the, what we call the B3 building. We started it in the middle of a recession, and people were like, that's just dumb, that's stupid. But people were faithful, people believed that that's what God wanted them to do. They weren't going to bury their talents and their resources. 50-something years ago when they built this building, I understand it was very similar. People were like, we shouldn't, we don't need that. That building's too big. We don't have the money for that. People didn't believe that. They said, yes, we do. We're going to move forward with this. They trusted God for their resources and their talents and their blessings. And God has blessed this church for generations because of that. Then there's the flip side of that. There are thousands of Christians who just stop. They stop growing. They stop reading God's word. They're complacent. They're satisfied. They're not doing anything. There are churches like that, too. And I'm not judging this morning. I'm just kind of pointing things out. Thousands of churches that just kind of float their ranks, so to speak, that focus inward. They're piling up money in bank accounts or whatever because they don't want to invest it in, in people and in God's kingdom. God asks us to invest, to use the opportunities that he's given us, which brings me to the fourth kind of point this morning. God has called us to labor. Don't become complacent. We were telling the Lord over and over, God talks about school for poor children. She had no books, no building, no money. But she had a dream. And the story goes that she went to Henry Ford and asked him to help her get started. And he took a coin out of his pocket and it was a dime. And he gave her a dime. She thought, that sounds kind of insulting for a man that has that kind of money. But she wasn't insulted. She took the dime, bought a packet of seeds, raised the crop, harvested it, sold it, bought some more seeds, she did that four times, so eventually she could build a building. Later on, she returned to Mr. Ford and said, look what I did with that dime. And at that point, she invested a million dollars in what we now refer to as Bering College. Because she took a dime and made it grow. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do something different. We did this one other time. This has been about eight or nine years ago when we were in the Beyond Measure campaign. I want to ask our ushers to come on down here, please. Here in a moment, these ushers are going to start down the aisles, and we're not taking up another offering. We're actually going to give you money. You get to take money out of the offering plate, and nobody's going to arrest you or anything. So don't ever say we never gave you any money. Don't say we're all about taking money. They have dollar bills in these offering plates. What I want you to do is take a dollar bill out of the offering plate. One dollar. Not a handful, but one dollar. Okay? This is for children, teens, everybody that's in here. The children's department's here in the same lesson this morning. If you have children down there, they're going to come home with an envelope with a dollar in it too. Here's what I'm asking you to do. You're getting an opportunity. 
make your dollar bill grow. How do you do that? That's what you do. Be creative. You can get your whole family together and merge your money together and, and buy stuff that you can make things and sell those things. You can buy stuff to do service projects. Maybe your Sunday school class wants to pitch in and come up with some kind of project. It's a great way to teach your kids about some things, by the way, and, and do things as family or homework or whatever. But that stuff's huge. We did this in 2011, I believe it was, and I was absolutely amazed at the creativity that people exhibited. And what we're going to do with this money, we want you to return it on April 28th, which is the week after Easter, and we're going to take that money and we're going to use it to help pay down uh, the, the beach rebuilding. Uh, last fall sometime, we dropped that loan amount below a million dollars, and by Christmas time, we actually paid off one of the loans, and so it's now somewhere around $700,000. So we made up a lot of ground last year, but we're trying to have it paid off in our 2020 vision campaign by January 1st of our 2020. So whatever we get from this opportunity that you're being given, all of that will go to.